Seems kind of funny and kind of absurd, right? Um, not too terribly off to what uh, this disease of the meism, the consumerism, is even invading the house of God, especially throughout, uh, throughout our nation. And so we just want to kind of talk about that. We just want to have a conversation together over the next couple weeks about that. So this week, I just want to kind of open up and talk about consumerism. And then I want to give you just some practical ideas on how you begin to kind of uh, invade that and and push that aside in your involvement in the local church. And then next week, I'd like to to be a little bit uh, even stronger spiritually focused next week on the personal surrender of what it takes in our life. And we will go ahead because it's always the, the best option to use Jesus Christ as the illustration. And so we'll walk through a passage from Philippians chapter 2 next week, which uses Jesus in this uh, issue of surrender and getting on board with, with God's plan. Um, I want to let you know, it's okay to buy stuff. Uh, I want you to hear us correct uh, this morning. In fact, really to exist in our kind of our westernized world uh, means that like you're always navigating kind of this daunting array of uh, advertisements or whatnot for products and for services and for goods uh, that you're that are constantly in front of us every single day that we see this. So uh, I'm wanting you to know that like you're not going to hell for buying a pair of jeans. That's not what we're talking about in this series here. Now, skinny jeans. Um, Still a toss-up in biblical scholars. They're working on that one. But uh, uh, this, this really, though, this consumer-driven society for us can be a challenge to us as Christians. And if we're not careful what, what this consumerism approach, what it does is if we apply the same thing that, that we kind of see in the marketing world, what it does is it causes us to kind of idolize perfection within the church or idolize perfection as I see, and I would call perfection. And this happens in all kinds of things. Like we expect like, like flawless worship experiences for us. Or it, it, we need to have very entertaining sermons or trendy pastors, right? Very cool staff. And it trickles into our childcare, youth programs, mission trips, conferences, camps, vacation Bible schools, really anything that you can think of. The shift is what we think that we ought to have or what we demand out of this. Inevitably, here's the problem. When the aspects of our Christian faith, when they do cause disappointment, and guess what? They will. You'll be disappointed in the church world. You'll be disappointed with another Christian at some time in your life. When it happens, and it will, our constant cultural experience, what we've been kind of conditioned to, guess what? It's that of being a consumer. And so we start to evaluate. We start to look at, at this, and, and really in the end, what's the philosophy that we've been taught in this? The customer is always right. Yeah, the customer is always right. So it causes us to feel entitled to something. Even in God's house, we feel entitled to something. This is what the church in the U.S. is starting to battle. We're starting to deal with. It's starting to trickle in. It's like a silent crawl that just kind of made its way in, and we didn't even realize until we started to feel the effects in the church world here. So we respond sometimes by complaining or demanding change, boycotting, and sometimes we even like abandon some aspect of the Christian experience altogether. We just put that aside and say, That's, that part's not for me. Here's what makes it worse. 
that even as church leaders, myself confessing, that we have bought in at times to this mentality. We've bought into the idea that we need to be very careful uh, that we are kind of viewing the congregation or viewing those who we might invite to church as consumers. And we need to think about it from a marketing and a consumeristic standpoint. And those strategically, those things can be of some value and some help for us. When we start thinking, I start to dwell or we start to focus as the dominant things, growth, popularity, efficiency, influence, power, recognition, even among church ministers, we deal with that. And so throw this all together and you can see the impact it might have on the church world. I want to remind you of something, Christians, that Jesus in his day was not incredibly popular with a lot of people. Now, he gained followers immediately, but go back and do your history. Read even through the New Testament, and you will find there are a lot of people who he was not very popular with. In fact, he promoted powerlessness. Do you understand that? Your God, your Savior, who you worship and I worship, promoted powerlessness. That's what he lived out. In fact, many would say that in his, in his day, those of his time would actually have described it as him as frustratingly inefficient. Now, they didn't have the full story that you and I get to read through the New Testament from him all the way up till now. But at the moment, here's what he, he, he said. He was about being sacrificial, humble, giving, and forgiving. These aren't exactly character traits that dominate our culture as the number one things we should be a part of. So I want to remind you that the best way to be a Christ-centered Christian is actually to emulate the life of Christ. There's no better way to be a a, a Christ-centered Christian than to look at Christ and say, I am going to be like that. Are the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, like, do those dominate your life? That's Jesus. It dominated his life. Does it dominate the church, your community, your fellowship? In order to be a Christ-centered Christian, I need to just be like Jesus. Do you love your neighbor? I mean, really, do you love your neighbor? Do you? My, my former neighbor's in church, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> so... Um, Do you love your enemies? Do you take care of the poor, the sick? Do you empower the downtrodden? Do you fight for justice? Do you reach out to those who are on the fringe of society? Do you befriend the people who are just flat out difficult to be around? Because they need it and they need Jesus Christ. I mean, these are things that Christians do, but not consumers. Consumers don't do this. And so can you see, you start to see the difference in what the church is called to do, and what we have to be very careful on what we sneak into the church. And so therefore, you can understand the power and the significance of we over me in that approach in the kingdom here. It's a backwards way of living, really, because uh, throughout our lives as consumers, we're taught to be the center of attention, right? You get handed a survey at the end of your uh, buying experience. How was your buying experience today? It was fine. I picked up something off the shelf. I stood in line for three people. I paid, and I'm out the door. So 
That's it. There's no life changing. But they would like to know how it impacted your life. You're the center of attention. You're the most important. And we look at ourselves first and foremost in that. But contrarily, what did Jesus do? Jesus actually promoted the exact opposite. He promoted to prioritize others first. Do you know what this means? That throughout Christian communities, we would hear this expression. We like to say it in the church a lot. Let's be countercultural. Have you ever heard that? So we want to be countercultural. You know, we're followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be countercultural. Do you know what that means? Within our Western eyes, our U.S. context, you know what it means? It means not consuming. It's not, it means not being consumers. It means not being me-centered when I come, especially into the house of God, or when I'm talking about the work and the service of Jesus Christ on this earth, not consuming. Instead, we, we try giving, right? Try sacrificing. Try serving, helping, protecting, caring, loving. These are the characteristics, these traits that are more rare and even devalued in many places in our culture. But the problem is, I can't read God's word, and I can't learn about Jesus Christ and want to be about Jesus Christ without knowing these have to dominate who I am. And letting Christ develop me more and more to understand those characteristics, even on a level that I don't understand it right now. That's the word of God, and that's who Christ is. It really means this. It's the opposite. It means being a contributor. It's saying, God, design in me so that I can contribute to your mission and to your kingdom. Christians, take a look at this. Christians encourage. Uh, Consumers complain. Christians empower. Consumers criticize. Christians sacrifice. Consumers hoard. Christians forgive and consumers hate. Christians work together. Consumers compete. Christians volunteer. Consumers take. Christians, they generously give. Consumers, they mostly buy or take. Christians serve. Consumers obtain. Christians save. Um, Consumers, they got enough. They can waste. Christians protect. Consumers destroy. And Christians love people. Love people. Consumers love things before people. Consumerism, if we're not careful, it will drive us to this selfish lifestyle of safety, of comfort, and of privilege. Which is incredibly odd because Christianity is meant to be the exact opposite. To teach this selflessness. To teach us how to look to somebody and to say, what is it I can do to be a blessing to them? How might I serve them? How might I help them, lift them up out of, out of the junk of their life and minister to them and care for them? That's what we're called to do, right? We're called to actually look to Jesus who went to the cross and he was persecuted, he was publicly humiliated, abandoned by his friends, and he was tortured to death. He was penniless, he was homeless, and at the time, apparently defeated. Being a Christian, I want you to know this morning, it's certainly not gloom and doom, but you got to be brave to be a Christian. You've got to know that there's a sacrificial endeavor involved in being a Christian. Because being a Christian is incredibly counterculture, at least to the culture that we're currently living in. 
In fact, it was once said that if you're not feeling some form of, of sacrifice in your life, in your Christianity, you might not be doing it right. Because this life brings sacrifice to us. And we happen to be plopped right into the middle of a culture that doesn't necessarily value the things of God's word. So living it out will be countercultural. It might be hard. It might be painful. It might be demanding. It's incredibly amazing. It's wonderful and the most fulfilling thing you'll ever experience. But because it's demanding, it, it might be why it's easier for us to be a consumer than it is to be a Christian. So this being very important to us this year, as we look to who we are, what our identity is as a church, we want to be known as a church that is here to serve. And not to say, let's keep hiring staff, let's raise up a few leaders, and those leaders, the board, the staff, they'll all get together and and they'll put the image of service on our church. We want it owned and operated with every person that steps foot in our door to understand You know, this church, they operate a bit different. It is clear this church is about the mission and service of Jesus Christ. And they're not dominated by a me-focused approach. And so because of this, I want to walk you through just these six very practical things in just the next few minutes that we think will start helping break some consumeristic thinking in our lives as it approaches just practical week in and week out in the church. Now, these six will hit all of you at different places. For some of you, this is your first time visiting, so this is your opportunity just to say, hey, here's what this church is about. This is what they're passionate about. That's, it was wonderful to see that. I'm going to go home and process that and pray over, you know, if God's saying, hey, why don't you go plug in there? I'm going to go pray over that and digest what I heard this morning. For some of you, you've been coming around a, a little bit, and, and uh, you haven't quite totally plugged in, and And now you can get into here a practical way we're kind of challenging you to plug in and call Wendover Hills. This is my home. I'm going to plug in. For some of you, you plugged in long ago, like this is your church. You might have even gone through membership class and those type of things. And yet this morning, these might need to be a challenge to you to say, hey, let's all rise up. Let's all rise up practically on this level. That's the we over the me approach. So wherever it hits you this morning, I just, I just pray the Spirit kind of leads you. And so let's take a look at this this morning, these, these six things. Here's the first one. It's just simply the word join up. Join up. You know, what we're saying here is it's not enough to just go to church ever so often and just sample a few services here and there. That our call to you this morning, I believe the call of God's Word is to join, become a member in the local church. And if you walk away today, maybe you're a visitor and say, hey, that church, it doesn't quite, you know, that's not quite, okay, fine, fine. Go find a local church, get plugged in, and join. Join, plug in, be a member, get locked in. Let the family of believers here know that you're part of the team. You're part of the mission. Here's what Hebrews says. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. You just simply can't do this well if you haven't joined and plugged in to a church. Now, I want to make sure you hear this correctly. Whether you joined, become a member, plugged all the way into or not, will not for one second change the way myself or my staff is committed to you. In fact, everyone that walks in this door, I believe my job is to be your pastor 
and to care for you. If you show up once every six months, or whether you're here every Sunday, doesn't matter. My job, my calling, and really my passion is to be your pastor. One time I went into a hospital room. I'd been at a church six years. I think the guy had been in church two or three times over that six years. I had to even be reminded of his name. But I went in, he was on the phone, and when I walked in, he excitedly told the guy on the phone that he needed to get off because my pastor's here. <laughs> my pastor, how do you even know who I am? <laughs> so, but Joe, that's my calling, and it's my passion. So don't think for a second I'm saying my commitment to you would be any different. I'm talking about your commitment to the church and to God's mission and vision here at Wendover Hills. And I'm calling you, join in. Join up. Become a member to what is going on here and what's happening here. Here's a common attitude in church sometimes. I'm here, tentatively, unless something might else come up, at least for the immediate future, I think. And thus, this keeps people from experiencing what the church fully has to offer, the mission that you can fully plug into, the fulfillment of reaching people, serving people, caring for people, and even seeing somebody in your life come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We miss out on what the church truly has to offer. And the consumer mindset, guess what? It is so closely following behind that, if not starting to take the lead. How much better is it to declare, look, I'm here. All of me is here. You got me. I'm here. I'm sometimes a broken mess, you know, sometimes I, uh, I know you look at me and go like, Ooh. you know, um, you might think that, but I'm here. I'm plugged in. Let the Lord do with me what he wants to do with me here. I'll trust God with my future. How much better is it to declare that? To declare it. Can I just tell you right now, if you plug in and join, you become a member here and you plug in, I am going to blow it with you sometime. <laughs> I just know, I mean, that's, that's how people are, right? We blow it with one another every once in a while. So if you're looking for that perfect experience in every way, we probably are not great at being that. Um, if you find a church that is, I would plug in right away. <laughs> so, but I can tell you right now, our commitment to love you, to minister to you, but even more, to challenge you, to allow God to work in and through you to be a blessing to others will be loud and clear. Here's the second thing. Uh, you make church a priority. Do you know that we build our life around priorities? Did you know that? I mean, you don't even have to verbalize that. You build your life around your priority. In fact, I heard it said this week that instead of saying, I don't have time or I'm busy, how about flipping the phrase and saying, that's not a priority? Make yourself say that every time. It kind of changes our thinking when we say it's not a priority. We build around priorities. Building your life around church really means that it's the kind of priority that these secondary concerns, they don't, you know, they don't just flow through. They flow around the significance of church, of being here, being with the family of believers, experiencing what God would have to offer, interested in, in your time in the local church. Now, it's, it's uh, interesting right now because just like, like online shopping has kind of hurt the marketplace of physical stores— so in the church world, the podcasts, the live streaming, the television, the Roku apps, all of those kind of things, you can so easily stay in pajamas in your house with a nice cup of coffee, and you can experience 
what we call church sill. But church is something so much more that you, you just won't experience. Take a look at what Hebrews says, chapter 10. And let us consider how we must spur one another on towards love and good deeds, spurring each other on. When we gather, we should be spurring one another on to love and good deeds. If you go out here and your dominant only experience week after week after week in the church world is how you might have got spiritually touched that week, for just your own personal living, you've missed something. Or we have missed something as a church sharing with you because there's that and they're spurring one another on. Don't, keep give, don't, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more you see the day approaching. But Tom, isn't, I mean, isn't church really just people? It's just the God's people, right? Well, yeah. It's not just the building. We've never declared that. We don't even have a building at this juncture. Um, <laughs> It's not just the gathering uh, on Sunday mornings um, that, that we had. I, I hope in some level you experienced church last week, even though uh, we were snowed in and not able to have church. But the danger is, is, if we're not careful, we start thinking that that actually means the gathering is not central and important either. That we start to say, well, yes, church is not just the building or the gathering time, and we start to devalue the gathering time. The coming together. Do you know that uh, you actually could trace the start of church back to 586 BC? This is a time when the Hebrews were taken off. Jerusalem was destroyed and the Hebrews were taken off into Babylonian captivity. And while they were in captivity, they didn't have temple. So they didn't have this place that they could bring and sacrifice their animals. And though the Babylonians were somewhat tolerant to the Hebrew faith... They didn't want to see an all-out Hebrew worship going on for fear that the Hebrews might kind of organize and rise up as their religion being the center point of their rebellion. So here's what happened, is the Hebrews started to gather together. Just little clusters, wherever they were scattered, wherever they happened to live, they started to gather together, and they started to meet. For the purpose of really three things, they sang together. They sang we find in the Old Testament times when singing occurred, they, they sang. They recited common prayers. Do you understand what we mean by common prayers? Things that were, were memorized and known, prayers, and they would recite them together. And then they would recite scripture. They didn't have probably the, the actual scriptures to open up, but the, the Torah of the Bible, they were actually able to recite that to one another. And they would do that in these gatherings. Some of these that have been excavated, even before New Testament times, I want to tell you what they look like. They look like a rectangular room with two rows of stone benches that go up and down, and then some small area in the front that appears to be like a platform. That sounds pretty similar to a lot of her churches. This is what became synagogue that we read about in the New Testament, this weekly gathering for the Hebrews, for the Jews, to worship. And it sounds so similar to church still today. The gathering to sing, to pray, to read God's word. And so when Jesus used this Greek word for church, ekklesia, uh, he's actually using a word that signifies this, gathering of those called out. Called out would have been a a phrase commonly used to describe the believers uh, that they would use to each other. And so even Jesus understood that 
though we would declare that it's not the building or the one meeting time, that the gathering is significant. And it's a significant value. So church is more than a building. Yeah, I'm with you. But the gathering is so important that we come together and spur one another on, encourage one another, build each other up, worship together. Chances are, the more you're in church, the more opportunity you have to be built in into your spiritual growth. Can you grow at home? Absolutely. We say it weekly. But there's something about being in God's house that's of such significant value in our life. And, and simply put, you just cannot be what you won't put yourself in a position to become. It just won't happen. And so church is a value. Hey, number three, it looks like this. Uh, you find ways to serve. Um, serving is taxing. Did you know that? Yes. Serving is spending yourself. Like, it's spending your time, your energy, like, all of yourself. Serving's offering you for something outside of yourself. First Peter says it this way, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various form. What should we do with our gift? We should serve with others. What should we do with our gift? We should make the biggest income that we can make because God's gifted me that way, right? Well, I hope your gift offers income as well. But the Word of God doesn't say it that way. The Word of God says that we should use it to serve others as faithful stewards of who? God's grace. It came from Him. The fastest way to feel ownership in the church is just like what Pastor Anson said in a small testimony to you today. He got on the drums and he served since. Now, I don't want every one of you on the drums. Um, so that'd be bad news for our music ministry. But there's so many areas to plug into and serve. There's so many areas. In fact, in kids' ministry, you might say, I don't know if I can stand up and teach kids for 45 minutes or an hour. Well, there is a ton of ways. I've believed, you've heard me say, that no church should ever be short on children's workers. It should never be. You're all capable on some level of working in kids' ministry and doing it well. Is it taxing? I've already said that. It's a given. But the blessing of watching those kids spiritually develop, amazing. It's amazing. I mean, you just have little Tommy Booer come up, with you, come up to you and ask if he can pray for you. Or you ask him to pray for you. That might be enough to sell you on needing to be down the hall serving with kids in kids' ministry. You need to do it. At the end of one of our Bible cycles, when we were tracking through the books of the Bible, um, little Lucas Leonard came up and said, well, I'm done with Revelation. I guess I'm all done. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful heart to work through God's Word. Every church is in need. I know always we're in need of children's worker. Today, you could solve that issue today, even if God is prompting in your heart. But to serve, there's so many areas in God's, in God's kingdom to plug in and to serve Ephesians 4, 16 says this, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Notice the impact of the words on there. Whole, every, each. What would it be like if the verse read this way? From his whole body is joined and held together by a few overworked supporting ligaments, growing, builds itself up in love as some parts do its work. I know that's kind of funny, isn't it? Guess what? That's the reality of the church world. That's the reality of God's kingdom often. That there's some overworked people working really hard. It's their passion, and they don't want to see anything fall through. 
in, in, in the church or in, in kingdom ministry. And so they're working hard here and they'll pick up something here and then they'll kind of pick up something along here and the progression goes and you know what happened, plates come tumbling down. Whereas God's word reads it the way it really should work. In fact, hear it as a command. God's word says, everyone, we're all involved. Every ligament is working together, supporting. Each part does its work. Next week, Pastor Anson mentioned we're having a ministry fair. Our goal, our hope, what we're praying for is you'd go around and God would just spark. And you'd say, that's it. I'm plugging in that, that spot right there. And we'd walk away and like ministry, kids ministry covered, youth ministry covered, um, music ministry covered, on and on. Things would just be covered there. Here's a problem. Um, consumerism destroys this for us. Because consumers don't think about serving. They think more about having service provided for them. And so I challenge you this week in that area. Here, number four here uh, is you give. Oh boy, here he goes. Oh, here he goes. Um, hang in, you'll make it. Um, do you know, money, it, it's just a tangible return on what we've invested in others. That's, that's what it is. It, our time, our abilities, our business choices, your personal resources, your opportunities that have gone well, that's what money is. So for Christians, giving financially, it's just a meaningful expression of worship. In fact, it's hard to read God's word and be serious about God's word if we don't see our finances as part of our expression of worship. He talks about it more than most other topics. Even this thing we call salvation, he talks about money even more than that. So it's a way for us to offer up ourselves. When we give our tithe, the 10%, or we contribute money in other ways, and really what we're doing is we're prioritizing the work of the kingdom, and we're trusting God. We're acknowledging that all we have belongs to him. Here's what Malachi says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food for my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and I'll see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Hey, there's lots of worthy and wonderful ministry opportunities for you to give your money to. They're out there, and you should. But since the church is this place of spiritual nourishment, this central place God sets up that the tithe goes to the church to support the work of the church and the programs and the building of the ministry here at the church and his kingdom. But this is an incredibly hard concept in the consumer world. It's incredibly hard to get. But I just want to encourage you, if you've never stepped out, for, forget about uh, me trying to convince or, or, or walk through it anymore. Test it, as his word says. Test out giving and see if God is not faithful to what he says he'll do in this adventure. Test and see. In fact, it's God himself in Malachi. Look up how many other times God says test and see. You won't find a lot in scripture, but you find one here when he talks about finances. Fifth, uh, we connect with people. We connect with people. Uh, Loners get picked off, right? 
Um, that, that's what we learn when we're in like uh, middle school and then high school. We walk into a classroom and we are just begging for there to be one seat open near one person I might know. And, and we are in panic mode. In fact, I have many times went to the door of the classroom and if I couldn't find what I just described, um, one more bathroom visit. And then you'd come back to the classroom till it worked out for you. We just start to think about this. Well, actually in God's word, he says community is something we need. It's of great value for us. This passion to local church involves community in the local church. It means doing life together. The New Testament has this word for this kind of experience, and it's the word fellowship. Now, we've downplayed the word fellowship uh, quite a bit. bit. It kind of loses its meaning and power. But fellowship in God's word is more than just one or more people just kind of gathering together and, you know, playing cards together. Could be part of fellowship. But it's more than that. John Loftus writes this, Fellowship is a uniquely Christian relational experience. He goes on to say this, Fellowship is participating together in the life and trust made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. Fellowship is sharing something in common, get this, at the deepest possible level of human relationship. That's more than just playing cards with one another. When we share our experience of God himself. That's what we're sharing. Fellowship means belonging together. The New Testament is full of these statements. Maybe you remember some of them. These one another type of verses, these one another type of statements. Just take a look at these. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Rejoice with one another. Serve one another. Carry on another's burden. Give one another, encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, confess our sins to one another. God's word calls us even to do that and understands the value when we say, man, I I just need to confess. I blew it this week. I'm going to tell you what I did and what I said to my wife. I just blew it this week. Fellowship does that. Pray for one another. Every one another command, it shows up that the church is not about programs, it's not about meetings, and it's not about a consumeristic approach. It is about serving and caring for others, and we do it it through shared life. Um, Problem is, consumers don't share. We, We hoard. And I would much more as a consumer like to pick out a few people that I know I'm going to enjoy a couple hours with, and it's going to be just fine. And probably as a guy sometimes that I know something personal is probably not going to come up, especially if we can get going on the topic of sports, right? Because that's my consumeristic mindset. That would be much more comfortable for me. God's word says, yeah, that's good, Tom, but you're going to be missing out on something, a depth of something that my word calls you to that would be of great value. Here's finally, is you share your passion. If you want to avoid being a consumer is you share you share your passion. You share it. Have you ever noticed that people who have like been captured by an idea or something that they are almost readily and immediately available to want to try to get you to experience the same thing? Have you ever noticed that? Um, you go to a movie. Hey, that was incredible. You should go to that movie. I don't want to go to that movie. What are you talking about, man? You should go to see that. That was good. I heard it was dumb. I just saw it. You're going to believe them or me. Um, and you convince each other. Can I just tell you, um, uh, I love CrossFit. I know, you're groaning already because you see on my Facebook. I, I just, I mean, I, I love it. I'm, 
I'm terrible compared to most of the people in the gym. Uh, these youngsters just run in loops around me. Um, I love it. I'm just, I'm energized by it. I'm, I'm just invigorated by learning things. I'm, I love looking at the board thinking there's not a chance I'll get done with that workout and somehow managing to crawl through it at the end. Um, I just, I love it. And you know what? When I, when I, uh, because I love it, I, I want to share it. I want to tell people about it. Whenever somebody says, you know, hey, I'm thinking about getting back in shape. Hey, I got an idea for you. Oh, um, would you come on over as a free class? Go on, you know, and I'll give the whole sales speech. It's instinctual. And whether you groan at whether I like it or I post about it, I could care less. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> because God has put it on such a, a passion. I know what you like. I know what your passions are. I see it flow through your Facebook pages. I can see it. And just the same way, God's saying, share your passion. When you came to know me as your Savior and I transformed your life and I, I, I it just poured my gospel into you, and then you got plugged into Windover Hills Church and this church has been such a vital part of you growing and serving and transforming and being developed, share it. Share your passion. Go tell people about it. It doesn't have to be a passion in the sense that, you know, you're, you're a super emotional person who's cheerleading and rah-rahing all the time. But you, it's deep, deep priority and significance. Share it. Tell people about it. Involvement in the local church should never be viewed as a way to escape the world. I just want to get away from all that and just hunker in and I'll sit in my seat and just focus straight up. It's never designed for that. In fact, the local church is God's primary means to reach the world. Do you understand that? He wants to use the church. He means he wants to use you and I to reach the world. And so we come together and we gather. We energize one another. We spur one another on. We get built up. We learn a few things. And then we are sent out to share our passion throughout the week. To share it. I want to give you the two easiest ways to share your, your passion. It's quite simple. Two easy ways. Number one, share your testimony. Just share your testimony. What did Jesus do in your life? Share it. Man, I was a, I was a druggie. I was a, an addict. And today I, I'm clean. I've got a good relationship with my family. I'm doing great in my job. I'm founding advancement of your job. Guess what? Share it. Tell people about it. I was a mess with my finances. But I started to put some biblical principles into play. Jesus had a couple conversations with me. I didn't like what he had to say at first. I battled back, but, you know, after a few years of him hitting me over the head, I finally said, okay, Jesus, I'm surrendered. It's amazing how things have turned around. Tell people that. Tell people. My wife and I, we just came to the point where a lot of like, hey, we're either done or something incredibly spiritual is going to have to happen, but I'm tired of looking at you kind of thing. And what happened? You both decided we're, we are going 100% walking this spiritual journey, both of you. And God found redemption and restoration in your marriage. Tell, I would tell that story to you. You're about to pass out. Tell that story. Because your whole world, everyone you come in contact with, they are wondering, searching, and even begging for answers in their life. And you have experienced in many areas, even in specific areas, you've experienced the hope of Jesus Christ and the transformation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Why, for a moment, would you keep that story in? Share it. Tell people about it. They want to know. 
You don't have to set up any soapbox in your, you know, I, CrossFit's my ministry field. I work every avenue. He probably is never going to program a, a, a workout where he says, this is 30 minutes of bring your pulpit in and preach to us. Um, so you don't have to do that. Share your story, though. Share your story with somebody. Here's the second way. It's easy, super simple. Just invite. Invite somebody to church. Just invite them along. You can have a conversation over coffee, with, coffee about Jesus. That's when you're sharing. Then invite them to come. Invite If you've got anyone in your life that needs to know Jesus Christ or hear about Jesus, invite them. They're going to hear it here. You have anybody that needs to experience community, invite them. They're going to have community here. If anybody in your life that needs to hear, uh, that has a horrible story about church and, and upbringing, that needs to see church completely different and completely fresh, invite them. Invite them to come. I can guarantee you, and I've read the research from Barna that goes with it, they're not going to defriend, defriend you. Defriend you. Is that the right word? Is that a real word? Yeah. Social media word. They're not going to do that to you. They're just going to simply say yes, or they're going to say no. And you're going to move right along with your relationship. I encourage you. Invite. It's the simplest of way. If you've never, or if you've never participated in this process of somebody coming to know Jesus, have you ever just extended the invitation for somebody just to sit with you in church? And what a joy that it was. If you've never done that, if you've never shared your story, I'm telling you, you're depriving yourself and you're depriving this church of some incredibly blessed testimony and joy. Some of the best we'll experience on earth. So my encouragement to us as believers at Wendover Hills, analyze ourselves. We got to get off any consumeristic approach that we've allowed into my life. I have them. I'll confess. I've got them. I'm being challenged myself as I'm writing this sermon this week. Challenged in a lot of ways. I walk into a church to visit as a pastor, and it's very hard to just settle in and let God worship to, with me that hour. Instead, I'm like, well, that lighting doesn't look quite right. Um, or, yeah, it was good, but they probably could have cut out that song. You know, uh, just, just stupid com- consumeristic critiquing. Um, So evaluate yourself. Let's get off that as a body of believers, and then let's take these practical steps and say we're plugging in full tilt into this. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you uh, this morning. I just thank you for your word and for the challenge of your word and the challenge in our hearts, Lord, to start looking, Lord, totally, 100%. Who are we in you, and who are we in your mission? And we'll give you praise for what you want to do even this week, the invitation that we extend out, the person that we serve this week, or the challenge that you speak to us individually about, that our answer would be a resounding yes. You would do it in our hearts this week. And may we not in any way, any way, sidestep your challenge. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.